0: Welcome to Barah Ministries, an intimate local Christian church with Worldwide Impact. My name is Pastor Rory Clark. The Lord loves you. King David contemplates the wonder of his love for us in Psalm 8, verses 1 to 6. He says, O Lord, and that's the Hebrew word Yahweh, that's the affectionate and personal term to refer to our God. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic. How splendid, how magnificent is your name in all the earth. You who have set your splendor above the heavens. Psalm 8:2. From the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you have established strength because of your adversaries to make the enemy and the revengeful cease. That means God uses the weak to humble the strong, and I count myself in that weak number. The ghetto boy, made good. Amen? Amen. All right. If I can do it, you can do it. I'm skinny, too. (laughs) I'm under 200 pounds for the first time since graduate school 40 years ago. If I can, yeah, that's right. 50 pounds in a year. If I can do it, you can do it. Now, none of my clothes fit, and so we will be taking a separate offering today (laughs) for a new wardrobe. Holy hell. Not even my underwear. Psalm 8.3. I know I didn't have to tell you that, but yeah, I know. I know, that's too much. Psalm 8.3. When I, David, consider your heavens as I look up into the sky, noticing the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, Psalm 8.4, what is man that you should even take thought of him, and the son of man that you should care for him? David's wondering why God loves us so much. Who cares why he does? That is so baller. Psalm 8:5. Yet you have made man a little lower than God, and you crown him with glory and majesty, the glory and majesty of salvation, the glory and majesty of sanctification, the glory and majesty of living with the Lord in eternity, face to face with him for all times. It brings us a tremendous amount of joy. Psalm 8:6. You make mankind your representatives on earth, to rule over the works of your hands, and you have put all things under his feet. Well, welcome to this Bible lesson. At Brahm Ministries, we know this truth, that Jesus Christ is God. As the Lord, he is 100% deity. He is God the Son, a member of the triune Godhead. He is also 100% human, just like you and me, and his name is Jesus Christ. The Lord, God the Son, became flesh, Jesus Christ, and lived among us. He is the uniquely born one, 100% God and 100% man and one person forever. Nobody ever has been or will be that. He He is the only begotten one, which means he is an exact duplication of essence with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. He is the sovereign God of the universe, and he is the Jewish Messiah. At Barah Ministries, we make a difference by teaching the Word of God from God's perspective and not from man's perspective. And those who make Baran Ministries our spiritual home are Christians. Being a Christian means we believe in the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we have a deep, intimate, and personal relationship with Him. Now, God has an enemy, Satan, the ruler of this world. He is a liar who deceives the whole world, including you. He doesn't want you to get to know God, and he interferes with your chance to know God. Satan's strategy against the human race is religion, which is designed to make you indifferent or antagonistic to God. Religion deceives you into thinking that you're saved when you might not be, and it works like a charm. But the word of God is truth, and it keeps us aware of Satan's insidious deceptions. As believers in Christ, we are in union with Christ, and we have the victory over Satan through our Lord, Who has overcome the world? Today's Bible lesson there are God ordained differences between the sexes. There are God ordained differences between the sexes. Well, the subject of sexuality is always a powder keg waiting to blow up into an emotional mess. The ruler of this world has taken God's very simple idea there are men, there are women, and they complement each other in cooperative roles and he has distorted it into a series of identities that have adu- abducted the alphabet. LGBTQ, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer, just the name of a few of Satan's cruel and inhumane distortions. And we are forced to be tolerant, which means we are obligated to agree with everything that is shoved down our throats, about alternate sexuality, even when we don't believe it. Tolerance, when you look at it on its face, is just a satanic distortion of unconditional love. To love unconditionally is much more than tolerant, though, and it doesn't imply agreement at all. There are a lot of things we do in our life that God does not agree with, and he loves us unconditionally, right? So that's that's real tolerance. Unconditional love is a respect for the journey of others even when you don't agree with it. In Satan's kingdom, tolerance means you can only be vocal when you agree with him and his schemes. In the next passage of study in 1 Corinthians, Paul gives gender-specific instructions. And I made a big mistake this week by giving a gender-specific instruction In a workshop that I was doing online, and it immediately blew up. So, if I give feedback to women, then it's sexist or it's misogynist. Well, here's the truth nobody cares about women in business. It's okay that you don't get the same pay for the same work, or more work usually. It's totally okay. It's okay if you don't get any proper training or proper feedback. And then when somebody does try to give you some feedback, they're wrong. Makes zero sense to me, but OK. All right, if that's the world we live in, then that's the world we live in. If you want to punish me for doing that, punish me for doing it. And it's not going to stop me from doing it. I was raised by women. I actually like women. And I want them to succeed. And anything I can do to help them succeed, that's exactly what I'm going to tell them to do. And if you don't happen to like it, that's fine. I'm not going to stop doing it. And that's the thing that drives me absolutely crazy personally about living in Satan's kingdom. That it's always take, take, take from you everything. Take your voice, take your passion, take your caring, take your concern, take your gender, take your race, everything. It's sickening. But that's the 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 Lord is the wise one. He put us here for a reason. He's teaching us something by it, and we need to take the lesson. So, in this passage of study, Paul is going to give some gender-specific instructions. When you start doing that, people are like, don't give me the cat stuff, because I'm at fighting weight now, amen? (laughs) (laughs) Right, like, a year ago, you could say something, and I'd say, yeah, I kind of want to fight you, but I'm tired. Now I ain't tired. I got energy, so we can have it out. Alright, so if you're prone to react in your soul over these things because you prefer your viewpoint to God's, then get ready for a little fun over the next couple of weeks because the Bible tells the truth and you need to be ready to hear what the truth is when God gives gender-specific instructions. Well, today's lesson is also a time for remembering. It's the second Sunday of the month, a time when we celebrate the Lord's Supper. We take a solemn and sacred look back at the cross to remind ourselves of what the Lord Jesus Christ accomplished there on our behalf. And today we look at the true meaning of being an overcomer. And perhaps we'll find out, much to June Murphy's dismay, because she has a song that says we are overcomers that she might be revising sometime soon. But maybe we'll find out that we're not actually overcomers. Hmm. All right, well, let's hear some music. Psalm 46, verse 10 says, Cease striving and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. At a point in our Christian experience, we have to know that God wants us to stop flailing, He wants us to stop working so hard because He exists to do everything for us. In human frustration, the group unspoken discovered a simple truth, just give me Jesus.
1: I close my eyes, still I find no rest, no rest for a restless heart. All I've been chasing, putting my faith in, let it fade, let it break into pieces. Just give me Jesus. Jesus. Just give me Jesus. This house I built on troubled sand If I gained the world, it would never be
0: pray. We're grateful, Heavenly Father, for the privilege of studying your absolute truth, the Word of God. Father, thank you for the chance to know you better through the study of your Word. Thank you for the inspiration you intend to pour into our souls today. Let it make us more ambitious in our relationship with you and more compassionate in our relationship with others. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit, in Christ's name. Say it with me. Amen. Amen today's Bible lesson, there are God-ordained differences between the sexes. There are God-ordained differences between the sexes. So don't shoot the messenger. In the next passage under study, as we move into the body of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, there is a message to women about how to conduct themselves in church. And as you know, the Bible has to be interpreted in the time it was written, so this was instruction to the women in the church at 1st century Corinth. There are God-ordained differences between women and men. Imagine that. Imagine that he actually knew what he was doing. He knew what he was doing. And so if you want to argue about anything in this passage, you have to take it up with the Lord, not with me, because he will be much more compassionate with you than I ever would. In this passage also, he has some messages for men that might be hard to swallow as well. So be ready, guys. Now we won't get to study this passage today, but I'm sure the subject matter will challenge some of your worldly Satan-inspired thoughts about the sexes. Let's take a look at the passage we'll begin studying next week. First Corinthians chapter eleven, verses two to six. Here's what it says. It says, "Now I, Paul, praise you, Corinthians." I'm cutting off. Well, That's a bummer. I'm running out of battery. Somebody play the Jeopardy theme. Yeah. If if we had good Back in love. Mic check, mic check, mic check. All right, great. All right, so I don't know where to begin. All right, so I, I think I left off at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2. Now I, Paul, praise you, Corinthian believers, because you remember me in everything and hold firmly to the traditions just as I delivered them to you. 1 Corinthians eleven three, But I want you to understand That Christ is the head of every man, and the man is the head of a woman, and God is the head of Christ. Oh, there's a hierarchy. There is a system of authority in God's plan. And as soon as you start talking about authority, people start getting their back up, because they don't want to follow authority a lot of times. And it's absolutely crucial to have authority. That's why we have a husband as the authority in a marriage. That's why we have parents as the authority in the family. That's why we have God as the authority over your soul. And that is why we have government over, as authority over citizens. Because structures of authority works. I have had so many friends who have developed 50-50 partnerships with people in their business. And you know what happens every single time? It does not work. 50-50 does not work. It can't work. Somebody has to have final say. So there is a structure of authority. And if you have problems with authority, then you have problems with that verse. 1 Corinthians 11:4. Every man who has something on his head while praying or prophesying disgraces his head. Oh my goodness, God has rules. God has a specific way he wants us to handle Every situation. And when men are praying, he doesn't want anything on their head. It disgraces their head. 1 Corinthians eleven five, And every woman who has her head uncovered while praying or prophesying disgraces her head. For she is one and the same as a woman whose head is shaved. Uh-oh. Here we go. 1 Corinthians eleven six, For if a woman does not cover her head, let her also have her hair cut off but if it is disgraceful for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved let her cover her head 1 Corinthians 11:7 for a man ought not to have his head covered since he is the image and glory of God but the woman is the glory of man uh-oh uh-oh got a problem <laughs> Do you ever know? No, I'm not going there. All right. First Corinthians 11:8. No, I'm not doing it. "For man does not originate from woman, but a the woman, the woman, originates from man. By what? By God's design. First Corinthians 11:9. For indeed, man was not created for the woman's sake, but the woman was created for the man's sake. You remember the verse, "I will make for him a helpmate suitable." 1 Corinthians 11.10 Therefore, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. And that because of the angels is because angels are sitting in the uh, throne room of heaven looking down on us and learning why some of them are going to the lake of fire. And so, you know, every time somebody dies, you always hear that thing. I just know they're looking down on us. They ain't looking down on you. In heaven, there's no more sorrow, no more tears. They ain't looking down on you. They don't want to see what you're doing. But the angels are watching because they're learning through us exactly what happened in the prehistoric creator-creature conflict that got some of them in really hot water and some of them off the hook. 1 Corinthians 11:11. 11, 11. However, in the Lord, neither is woman independent of man nor is, ind- or is man independent of woman. Oh, cooperation the male and the female relationship is a cooperative relationship how about that not a competitive relationship 1st corinthians 11:12 for as the woman originates from the man so also man has his birth through the woman for all things originate from god 1st corinthians 11:13 judge for yourselves then is it proper for a woman to pray to god with her head uncovered 1 Corinthians 11:14, 14. And does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him? Ruh-roh. All right, now look at this. In Satan's kingdom, how is Jesus always portrayed? That way. He's always portrayed with long hair. You guys are going to be double shocked when you get to heaven. First of all, you're going to be shocked that he's bald, and second of all, you're going to be shocked that he's black. Amen? Yeah. Yeah. And there's going to be a whole lot of brothers in heaven. Amen? So you better start liking us while you're down here now. Black lives matter. Amen? (laughs) I don't know where this stuff comes from sometimes. I really don't. It just comes out. It's like Satan inside of me. It makes it come out. So that is not at all how Jesus Christ looks. He's always portrayed as this little wimpy guy wearing a robe. How are you going to be wimpy and hang from a cross? How are you going to be wimpy and carry that big old cross through the city? He was so strong, it was disgusting. People, people didn't like him for so many reasons. He's handsome. He's kempt. He's buff and badass. He's awesome, and everybody's gonna be shocked. You know, I think that's everybody who comes in front of the Lord falls down face right on their face, right? And I think part of that is just being in His glory and His power. But the other part of it is, man, you are—I—I don't even know what to say. Wow, it's not like the picture. Can't wait to see. All right, so 1 Corinthians eleven fifteen. But if a woman has long hair, it's a glory to her, for her hair is given to her for a covering. 1 Corinthians eleven sixteen. But if one is inclined to be contentious, we have no other practice, nor have the churches of God any other practice. Well, there are clearly some intriguing ideas to discover in the next passage, as the Apostle Paul continues to answer some of the questions that were posed to him by Chloe's people. The passage on the surface brings to mind baseball to me. I've played baseball my whole life. Every player has a position to play, and never when playing baseball did I ever hear a player arguing about the equality of his position in relation to the other positions on the field of play. Each person simply did his own position's job. In the battle of the sexes, we can't say the same thing. Women always want to be men, and men lately are always wanting to be women. Just do your job. We each have a job. You know, women were built, men were built as initiators. Women were built as responders. It drives women absolutely crazy to be in a relationship with a man who doesn't initiate because she's waiting for something to respond to. Now, you you talk about this in public, and... (laughs) What do you mean? What I mean is you have satanic viewpoint in your head, and you don't understand God's program for the two sexes. That's what I mean. And now you want to get all on my case like I'm spouting my opinion. I was talking to a guy the other day about uh, a passage in the Bible that he misunderstood. And it, was, it bothered him. It bothered him deeply. Now, I don't know what bothered him. Maybe it bothered him that he was wrong. I've been wrong about passages, and I didn't get my panties in a bunch. You're wrong about some stuff. And you know why we're wrong about biblical passages? No, Look, if I read a biblical passage to you and you're a Christian, you ought to see that passage the same way I do. There are not ten interpretations of the passage. There's one. So whose point of view matters? God's. And that's it. And you either have God's point of view about the passage or you don't. And if you don't, whose problem is it? It's your problem. It's your problem for the teachers you pick. Because I am a teacher who when I find out I'm wrong about something, I'm going to come up here and I'm going to tell you, I told you that this was true. It was not. Sorry about that. Here's what really is true. And that's the same thing you ought to be doing. So somebody comes to you and tells you that you're missing something in a passage, demonstrates it for you because you took it out of context. And you don't want to hear it and you get your panties in a wad about it. I don't understand. I don't. But I know people do that. But not me. I want to know the truth. I mean, one of the things about this whole weight loss thing is I finally found the truth about how to lose weight. Now, it's a what, $20 billion industry, and 95 to 98% of it is absolute lies that do not work. We pay, it does not work, we see it does not work, and what do we do? We go pay for something else that does not work. I don't like that, do you? You know, I was was lifting weights for years, years, five grand a year, and you know what happened to my weight? Nada, nothing, because it's nutrition. Weight just builds muscle if you're doing it right. I wasn't even doing it right. Tore my rotator cuff, had a uh, what, what, meniscus injury, hips all crazy, running on concrete. It's crazy. So look, the truth is the truth. So in baseball, you don't hear people talking about the equality of their position. If you're at third base, the ball's going to come down real fast. You better catch it. If you're first base, you probably need a bigger glove for all the people in the infield who can't throw.
2: <laughs>
0: if you're catching a knuckleballer, you need a special mitt. If you're in the outfield, you better take some bug spray, you're going to get eaten up by the mosquitoes. <laughs> right? Do your job. All right. So, as you probably know, Helen Reddy died last week. She was one of my favorite artists growing up, and one of her songs was I Am Woman. And why is it that men and women just can't play their positions? Why do we have to battle? Why don't we just enjoy each other? And you always see that in marriages, this big pissing contest. Over what? For what? The, the desire to dominate, to, the desire to compete, instead of the desire to cooperate. A win for you with a simultaneous win for me. It's easy if you have that mindset and you want to work that out. But if you want to win at the other person's example, why don't you squeeze the toothpaste from the middle of the tube? What difference does it make? Get two tubes of toothpaste. Let her have her toothpaste. You have yours. You squeeze it from where you want to. What, is that going to cost you an extra $2? But you're going to fight about that? Try to conform somebody to your method of squeezing a toothpaste too? That's, that's people. So I think we should just enjoy each other. Well, why don't we? It's because of Satan, the enemy of God, who is always stirring us up to reject God's instruction on how things work. Be sure to tune in next week for the fireworks. Bring popcorn. (laughs) It's going to be fun. And women, don't be coming in here in hats next week just because you read one Bible verse, all right? There's one Bible verse in there that says women's heads ought to be covered up in church. Don't you all come up in here in hats, amen? Just relax. I know, <laughs> who are you telling? June said, that's what Baptists do. They do everything that's goofy. My mom was a Baptist initially, and then she jumped out of the fire and pan and into the fire of Roman Catholicism. like, <laughs> it can not get any worse than that except me jumping out of the fire, frying pan of Roman Catholicism into systematic theology for three decades. Anyway, when we return from our five-minute break, we'll take the offering, and then we'll celebrate one of the best Lord's suppers that you have ever experienced. Take a five-minute break.
3: Why you ever chose me Has always been a mystery on my life I've been told I belong at the end of the line. with all the other not quite. Will all I never get it right. But it turns out they're the ones you were looking for all this time. Because I'm just a nobody. Trying to tell everybody. All about somebody who saved my soul. Ever since you read. For the world to see Nobody but Jesus I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus When Moses had stage fright and David brought a rock to
1: a sword fight You picked twelve outsiders Nobody would have chosen And you changed the world Well, the moral of the story is Everybody's got a purpose down in history, as another blood faithful member of the family, and if they all forget my name, well
3: that's fine with me,
1: I'm
3: living for the world to see, nobody but you.
0: Today's Bible lesson, there are God-ordained differences between the sexes. Well, at the offering we give, but only as a reflection of the one from whom we learned how to give, the Lord, the ultimate giver, who gave himself up on a cross for us. Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6 says this, From the days of old they have not heard or perceived by ear, nor has the eye seen a God besides you. A God who acts on behalf of the ones who wait for Him. Give to reflect the way the Lord gives to us. Know that your contributions work on behalf of others as the Lord ordains. Let's welcome up Deacon Benny Goodall with the offering message.
3: Good
4: morning my name is Denny Goodall and I'm blessed to be a deacon for Barah Ministries. Barah Ministries is a worldwide Christian church. We are real people who listen to a real pastor, teach the real truth from the Word of God. And I don't know about you, but I feel like life's been beating me up lately. It's got me down a little bit. It's just been crazy. You know, I can't be the only one with, you know, COVID stirring everything up from our careers to our relationships to our, you know, vacations we were supposed to take or our jobs changing and Just everything, you know, the money we had. Now some people lost their jobs, got furloughed. It's just crazy. So I know I'm not the only one. But we know that's Satan's plan, right? It's to make make us focus on the darkness, make us feel divided from our relationships and separate us from the people we love. But we know that God has a plan as well, and he's the light. He's going to show us light in the darkness. So we know, even though it feels dark, there is always light. We know there's always a silver lining. There's always a blessing in disguise. And I was looking through the Bible, and I thought, what better verse than to use Paul, speaking of praise and joy from the jailhouse, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. He wrote this from jail. And Philippians was probably his favorite church because they supported him so well. And so he's writing, he's praising them from jail, you know. He's not thinking about himself, he's not focused on the darkness, he's focused on the light. He's focused on his church. And you think, finally, believers in Christ... Whatever things are true, whatsoever things are honorable, whatsoever things are right, whatsoever, th- whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are good, of good repute, if there is any excellence, and we know there is, and of course there is, and if there is anything worthy of praise, and of course there is, let your minds dwell on those things, on these things, right? So that's hard to do sometimes, but you know, like, I went bald this year, what? You know, that, that's no fun. But at the end of the day, I don't have to buy shampoo anymore. I don't have to step in front of the mirror and look at the, look at the mirror. I don't have to show up like Zach with bedhead looking like reverse Caesar. You know, it's just simple things in life. But, I mean, let's go back to COVID. How about COVID? That's been a nightmare, right? But also, it's been some good things because families have been reunited. Families that maybe never spent any time together have now spent a lot of time together. And maybe they drove themselves a little crazy, but they had true unity. You know, and how about the people that don't have to go to the office anymore? You don't have to see that one crazy office worker. You just work from home, like, no more seeing Karen. Thank you very much. i have to stay home. But then, you know, you've also got some serious things, like what if you've got to go in for a major surgery and you're scared, but you meet the love of your life in there? Was that worth it? It was worth it in my mind. And so a lot of people look at this church. Hey, you're just a little church in a strip mall. They don't look at the light that's here they think, oh, it's just a little building. It can't be a real church. But we have the light. We have the truth. We have the lessons. We have what really matters, a pastor that cares and is dedicated. And so it's really easy to lose, you know, lose that light in our lives and think of all the shitty things that are going on. But we have a lot of good stuff going on. Our pastor, this church, June, and our singing songs stick with us. So thank you for always supporting this church, you know, and being like Paul in prison. You know, we're in prison right now, but we can still have joy and we can still be happy because we can focus on the true things and the right things and the things that are lovely. So thank you.
0: Back the Lord's Supper celebration at the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ made us overcomers. At the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ made us overcomers. Great message, Deacon Denny. And you're right, I can feel the tension. And I think the big deal is yeah, what happened to vacations? You know, you remember those? That was awesome. Remember, we could actually travel around the country and go different places. That was awesome. And now, I hope you guys like your homes. I don't know whether you noticed the news this morning, but Microsoft has said that their workers can now work from home permanently. Hmm. I hope you like your homes. Preview of coming attractions. Better call the contractor. Hope you like your house. Well, anyway. And I always love it when you use Philippians 4.8, the motto of Northwestern University, "Quae cum quae sunt vera, whatsoever things are true, let your mind dwell on these things. Love that. All right, so welcome to the Lord's Supper celebration, the most intimate expression of our deep, intimate, and loving personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord reminds us of his union with us during this celebration by sharing his body and his blood with us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 26, the apostle Paul says on behalf of the Lord, as often as you eat this bread representing his body, and as often as you drink this cup representing his blood as part of the Lord's supper celebration, you proclaim as a reality and you announce the significance of the Lord Jesus Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead until he comes again at the second coming. So every month we celebrate the Lord's supper to remember. We remember that we are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, dependent on him for our so great salvation. I was praying with a family this week whose the father of the family was going home to be with the Lord. And so I was there with him during his last 12 hours on earth. And it's sobering because this life here will end for this body here. And it's sobering when that happens. And so, but we don't worry because we're believers in Christ. And we know that when we are absent from this body, we're face to face with the Lord. We remember at the Lord's Supper celebration that we are in union with Christ. And that means that we are one with Christ. We remember that God loves us unconditionally. There is nobody ever who will know you better or love you more. Than the Lord does. We remember that we are forgiven for every sin we commit, past, present, and future. That we don't have a God who's up in heaven counting up our sins against us, storing them in a computer so he can spit them back in our face when we come before him. Believer or unbeliever, no sin will be brought up at the judgment. And we remember that we have the Lord's grace to help in times of need and especially when we make mistakes. The Lord's Supper celebration is often called communion. It's our chance to commune with the Lord as we remember him. A chance to bring our bring to our consciousness, our fellowship with him, our unity with him, our union with him it means we are communing with him, means we are in fellowship with him. It is a sacred celebration this Lord's Supper, so it's not something that we take for granted. It's not something that when we hear the opening of it over and over again, we don't yawn and say, God, doesn't he say this every month? Yes, I do. Because it's no trouble to me to stir you up by way of reminder. It's a safeguard for you to be reminded over and over of what you have spiritually, the wealth you have that is spiritual. It is not something we do on the fly. It's a time to have bread and wine in front of us. And we here at Barah Ministries are going to have to get off the grape juice, amen? I mean, I don't think we have any alcoholics in here, do we? So maybe we need to start pouring some wine along with our bread, amen? And make that last 15 minutes of this lesson be as fun as possible. But anyway, as we enjoy the elements, this bread and this wine, we remember that we're dependent on the Lord both for our physical sustenance and for our spiritual sustenance. And the Lord is a sustainer of those who wait for him. During the Lord's Supper celebration, Jesus wants his believers to look back and to look forward. We look back to the cross to remember all the Lord did for us there. He wants us to look back to remember how he rescued us from the kingdom of darkness. He wants us to look back To remember the sacrifice of shedding his blood to cover our sins. He wants us to look back to remember the deliverance to the resurrection life he orchestrated, bringing us into his kingdom of light. The Lord also wants his believers to look forward in anticipation that he is coming again. And if you think you're excited about the things that you know about the Lord now, you wait. The first 15,000 years in heaven, we're just going to be walking around with our mouths open, in shock about all the things that he prepared for us before he even brought us into existence. So as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we ask ourselves in reflection, what did the Lord Jesus Christ do for us at the cross? This month, we acknowledge that at the cross, the Lord made us overcomers. Okay, Let's start the Lord's Supper celebration with a quiz. Where is God right now? Where is God right now? And in case you're wondering, yes, there is a correct answer. June says in heaven. Sorry, you don't get to play Double Jeopardy. So, (laughs) sorry. So quickly contemplate the answer and write it down. Don't waste any of your time freaking out. Because I already know that you don't pay any attention during Bible lessons. And forget that you've heard the answer to this question a thousand times, verse after verse, which you see but you don't notice. and Don't look ahead for the answer. Just write your answer down. Okay, I'll give you a hint. Psalm 46, verse 1 says this. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. Where is he, Joan? Very present. (laughs) (laughs)
3: very present correct that's awesome he is
0: very present if god is very present where is he he's here my mic is cracking again that's a bummer about if we change some frequency How are we doing now? Good, 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 good. No cracking? I don't know. How about now? Check, check. Check, check. Is it on? Check, check. Check, check. Thanks, Zach. Mm -hmm. Check, check. Okay.
4: Check, check, check.
0: On check, check. I hear some stuff. Yay! We have backups for our backups. I am back. All right. So, if God is very present, where is He? He's here. God is omnipresent. He's able to be everywhere at the same time. He transcends time and space. But here, where? If He's here. Where is he here? Colossians chapter 1, verses 25 to 27 tell us, Of this church I, Paul, was made a minister, according to the stewardship, the dispensation from God the Father bestowed on me for your benefit, so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. Colossians one twenty-six. That is, the preaching about the mystery, which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but now has been manifested, made clearly visible to his saints, all believers in Christ. So you've got to be asking yourself, what's the mystery? And what has been shown to all the saints, to all the believers in Christ? And if you're a believer in Christ, you're a saint. Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. To whom God the Father willed to make known what are the glorious riches of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ indwelling you, the hope of glory where is Christ in you you. very present in you right here right now now do you ever think about that do you ever think about him as in here right here right now the Lord is right here right now right inside of you ever-present and a song came to mind as I was thinking about that it's the song they'll know we are Christians by our love we are one in the spirit we are one in the Lord we are one in the Spirit we are one in the Lord and we pray that our unity will one day be restored and they'll know we are Christians by our love by our love yes they'll know we are Christians by our love well the song is half right we are one with the Lord however nothing has happened to our unity at the moment of salvation God placed us into unity Through the baptism of the Spirit, God the Holy Spirit placed us into union with Christ. And it is a union we cannot get out of, no matter what we do. There's nothing that disrupts that unity. So what does that mean? That means that Christ is indwelling you. And who else is in there? God the Holy Spirit is in there. And who else is in there? God the Father is in there. So the entire Trinity is indwelling church-age believers. What does that mean? It means that you are a temple of God. That's what it means. We are in union with Christ, and we have been since the moment of salvation, and forevermore will be in union with the Lord. But do you see the Lord that way? Or do you see Him as someone who's far off in heaven? When you're praying to Him, are you praying to Him, Far off in the throne room of heaven. And let's not mistake it. He's there. He's omnipresent. He's there, but he's here. He's an ever-present help. He's right here, right now, inside of you. And we're going to talk about what that means. So, do you pray to the Lord over the miles? Or do you see yourself, and, and, and do you see yourself and God as separate beings? Because you're not. The two have become one flesh. At the moment of salvation, you married God. And now you're in union with Him, and the two have become one. There's no more two. So you're not praying to somebody over there. You're praying to someone inside of you, and that's what someone inside of you is you. And that does not make you a God. That means God indwelling you, the hope of glory, the entire trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are right here, right now, indwelling you, operating from within you, using you as a base, one with you. You are housing God. You are a temple for the Almighty God. Oh, pastor, yes. Can you prove it? Oh, sure. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 says this, or do you not know? And you know, whenever Paul says, do you not know, he's saying, are you ignorant? Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is indwelling you believers in Christ, whom you have as a gift from God the Father? You are not your own. You are a possession of God as a believer in Christ. From the beginning, from the foundation of the world, in eternity past, it was always God's intention that he and his creatures would be one entity. I I laugh so much at stupid Christians who are trying to explain why God created creatures. Oh, well, I think God created creatures because he was lonely. (laughs) (laughs) No. No. Oh, well, that's okay, Pastor. I'm blessed. (laughs) No, No, I don't think so. I think when they were handing out brains you thought they said trains and asked for a slow one no yeah feel free go ahead man Wow. yes that is my offspring i must admit he did he got a slow train i take no responsibility for that man that 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 man zachary clark Our problem is that as Christians, we often choose to see as the world sees rather than how divine reality is. We take our focus off the light of eternity and we zoom in and get bogged down into the world and in time. When we do, we miss it that God has always been the epicenter of our lives. He sits on the throne of our lives controlling us. But God expects his control, to be a cooperative effort. You don't just turn it over into God's hands. You work along with God. You work, and what is the work part? Deciding what you want. And then you tell him, this is what I want, and he drives the bus. Now, how long is it going to take? It takes what time it takes. And you can assume that if it isn't here yet, he just wants you to take a break. Amen? Amen.
2: <laughs>
0: that wasn't funny. That's true. He wants you to take breaks. And I, I, I think we don't get that sometimes. I think we want everything now. Uh, now, you got to fix it now. Well, no, just relax. Because it's going to get fixed. And it's going to be fixed better than anything. Because, look, when you're doing a job, you don't just, you know, if I, if I want to build a house, the house doesn't just appear. you got to put down a foundation. And then you got to put some, some sticks in there some, and some drywall in there. And you build it up and get a roof on it, get the shell. And then you got to go inside and do all the stuff you do in there. And plumb it out or whatever all the terms. I don't care what the terms are. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. But it doesn't happen overnight. There's a whole lot of po- positioning that has to happen. Well, God is doing the positioning and it's invisible to you and you are freaking out because it's not coming as fast as you want it. But when it comes, it's going to come so fast. You better you better duck because he's what he's doing. When you ask him for something, you should feel around your mouth. You say, what is that? I don't know what from out here. It looks like a fire hose. Is any water coming through it? Not yet. And then all of a sudden, bam, the fire hose comes. And it starts coming to you like you can't even believe it, faster than you can even think you could handle. That's how God works. So he is at the epicenter of our life, but he will not control you without your permission. He is a gentleman. You have to work in concert with him. And because we've asked God to control our lives from the moment of salvation, we are overcomers. John chapter 16, verse 33, the Lord is talking to his disciples in the upper room discourse the night before he's crucified. And he said, these things I, the Lord Jesus Christ, have spoken to you, apostles, so that in union with me, you may have peace. Yeah, you're hearing that I'm going to die tomorrow, and you're sad. I told you that so you would have peace. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you as your paraclete who's going to come powerfully to your assistance and remind you of everything I told you tonight while you're sobbing. In the world you will have tribulation. You will have to take up your cross and follow me. But take courage. I have overcome the world and because I'm in union with you, you have overcome the world by association. We're not overcomers because of anything we did nor for any merit that is within ourselves. We have been made overcomers through God's sharing of His victory over the world with us. 1 John chapter 4, verse 4 says this, You are from God the Father, little children, and little children are believers in Christ, and you have overcome them. Who? The spirits who don't confess that Jesus Christ is God. And you have overcome them because greater is He who is indwelling you than He who is in the world. You feeling me, Deacon Denny? Greater is the one who's in you than he who's in the world. So yeah, you're being beset on all sides. But you have the victory already. And yeah, it's a tearful experience. You have more than you can handle. We all do. And some of us more severe than others at the moment. But there's victory at the end of this. Always victory. But we need to rest. By sharing his status as overcomer with us, it means that God will not allow us to be destroyed. We are beyond the reach of our enemies. What does Psalm 23 say? He prepares a table for us right in front of our enemies. No destructive powers, no failure, no defeat, no deception have power over us. No government, no flu, no masks, no sheltering in place. No nonsense, no taking away all the things we enjoy is going to defeat us. Amen? When evil approaches us, it is not only approaching us, it is approaching God. And evil is afraid of God and has no choice but to snarl at the God in us. That's why Satan is called a roaring lion. He's a roaring lion because he has no teeth. He tries to intimidate us with with noise, but God God inside of us can't be intimidated by noise. Amen? Amen? So, evil is smart enough to know not to approach us. Remember Satan's complaint about Job in chapter 1, verses 8 to 10? The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? For there's no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, respecting God and turning away from evil. And then Satan answered the Lord, sneering, Does Job respect God for nothing? Job 1.10. Haven't you made a hedge about him? Protection, a wall of fire, and a, about his house and about all of his possessions that he has on every side and on the top and the bottom too. You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. Nobody can get to him. That's right. That's right. Nobody can get to you. That's that. That's how the omnipresent God works with you as well. Why? Because in union with Christ, we are an extension of his overcoming. Take advantage of his victory. Taking advantage of his victory illustrates the head and body analogy. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 20 say this, The Lord is the image of the invisible God and Father, image meaning the same, the firstborn of all creation. Colossians 1.16 For by the Lord all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, a whole structure of authority. All things have been created through Him and for Him. Colossians 1.17 The Lord is before all things. He came, He was the first. And in Him all things to hold together. How? By the word of His power. He is running the universe and nothing happens in the universe without His permission. Colossians 1.18 The Lord is also the head of the body, the church, that's us. And He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, the firstborn resurrected from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. He's first, and we're right behind him in our position, doing our role. We don't need to usurp him like Satan did. I will make myself like the Most High. You wish. He wants to be God-like. You wish. No way. Colossians 1.19 For it was God the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness of deity to to dwell in the Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, the head and the body are not separate. They operate as one. And through Jesus, it was God the Father's intent to reconcile all things to himself. What does that mean? To tear down the barrier of relationship between God the Father and us. Having made peace through the blood of Jesus Christ. Peace, meaning God has nothing against us. Through him, I, Paul, say, whether things on the earth or things in heaven. And here, let's be frank. We fail to recognize our oneness with him. We see him as separate. We fail to realize the absolute power in that. We fail to realize that it was his intention all along way in eternity past, to unite us into one with himself. It was his intention to marry us. He is the groom and we are the bride. He is the shepherd and we are the sheep. That was always his intention. From eternity past, he has brought this unity to pass and it is a unity that we, as believers in Christ, can never escape. In ourselves, we could never be overcomers. We don't have the power. A mothering lioness will engage in the fight of her life against the deadliest prey to feed her cubs. And when she makes the kill, she shares the spoil with her cubs. The cubs fill their bellies, and then they walk around with their chests poked out, oblivious to the sacrifice and the danger their mom made so that they could share in the spoils. So it is with believers in Christ. When we look back at the cross, we have no idea how hard it was to do what the Lord accomplished there. Like a mothering lioness, the Lord gives and gives and gives until we wake up to the reality of his presence and his power in our lives. The Lord asks us to pick up our cross and follow him. He gives us tribulation so we might have a taste of what he did on our behalf. And it is a pleasure to suffer so that we can see things through his eyes. Because we are in union with him, his victory is not several victories, it is a single victory. We share in his single victory. In this context, perhaps, we can understand Paul's prayer in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 19. For this reason, I, Paul, bow my knees before God the Father in prayer from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. That's where Meshach came from, Kevin. From the Lord. Amen? Amen. Ephesians 3.16. <laughs> 3, if you don't like that name, blame him. <laughs> <laughs> that he would grant you, according to his glorious riches, to be strengthened with divine power through His Holy Spirit, indwelling the inner man, Ephesians 3.17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted like a plant and grounded like a building in unconditional love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints, all believers in Christ, what is the breadth, how wide, what is the length, how long, what is the height, how high, and what is the depth, how deep, and to know what the unconditional of love of Christ is, which surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Yep, to overcome for us, the Lord has a small set of souvenirs for his efforts. Bearing a cross, a broken body, shed blood, physical death, burial, resurrection from the dead, ascension and seating at the right hand of the majesty God, God the Father on high. So in light of these insights, keep on doing this remembrance this keep on doing this in remembrance of me it takes on a new meaning. The Lord wants us to remember for us, not for him. He wants us he wants more for us than simply knowing of his presence in us as a concept. He wants us to feel his oneness with us and to use his presence in us to make every decision. I don't believe you heard me, so I'm going to repeat that. He wants us to feel his oneness with us and to use his presence in us to make every decision. And here's how that works. Imagine that you that the Lord drives up and picks you up in a limousine. What he wants you to do is to get in the back seat and enjoy the ride. But you can't do that. And so you act like a little teenager, jumping up in the back seat, and you say, Lord, can I drive? And the Lord says, I don't think that's a good idea. He said, yeah, but, but can I do it? Sure. So he stops the limo, he gets out, he gets in the back and you get in the front and drive. And so you start motoring down the road and you get to a certain speed. He said, you know, if you don't slow down in about two blocks, you're gonna run right into a wall and crash the car. And you look back and you say, yeah I'm hearing you. Conceptually I heard what you said, but you keep maintaining the same speed and then two blocks later Bam! You crash the car, the airbag deploys, blows up in your face. You got a big old mark all over your face from the airbag. The Lord gets out of the back of the car He says, You want me to drive? And you say, Yeah, that would be a good idea. Okay, just a minute, I'll fix the car. He snaps his finger, fixes the car, everything goes back in. And he gets in and drives. Everything's beautiful. Then in about ten minutes you say, Hey, hey Lord, can I drive again? <laughs> and the Lord says, "Sure." Yeah, go ahead. I don't have to tell you the rest, do I? You know, when we're going to learn, just take the limo ride. Give the Lord instructions. This is where I'd like to go, he will take you there. We are one with him. One limo us together in there, the two as one flesh in union. That's all it is. So, you don't have to go get a manicure. You're going to have to start getting manicures now. Because you can stop biting your nails. Wondering if God's going to hear you. You know, if it be your will, God willing. Because I'm
5: blessed.
0: God willing. Of course he's willing. He created you and destined you for privileges that would stagger your imagination. Of course he's willing. What a silly thing to say. What do you want? What do you want? That's really the issue. You know what the, one of the funnest things is in my executive coaching practice? It's asking people two questions. Number one, who are you?
2: And
0: they cough up a furball. And the other one is, what do you want? We know who we are, we're saints. Believers in Christ, redeemed, reconciled, in union with Christ, with absolute righteousness, justified, atoned for, expiated. Tell me when you want me to stop. What do you want? What do you want to do with the gift He gave you? What difference do you make? That's one of the questions I used to ask my kids all the time, and they look at me like I was crazy. Say, can I ask you something? <laughs> they knew when I got that crazed look, you know, there was a problem coming. So they were going to give me whatever answer they thought I wanted to hear. I said, can I ask you something? What difference does it make that you're on the planet? You're mad. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It needs to make a difference that we're on the planet. One conversation at a time. God wants to orchestrate our lives, and when we let Him, our lives on earth will match our future life in heaven by being exceeding and abundantly beyond anything we could ever ask or think. You have no idea, really, other than conceptually, how much God loves you. And no idea all the things He planned for you. Because when you look at yourself in the mirror every day, you get scared. You know? Ah! <laughs> look, it's the same person that was in the mirror last night. Why are you scared? You're scared because you look at that person in the mirror and you say you aren't worthy. You're wrong. You're wrong. Because your opinion doesn't matter in that, in that vein. God thinks you're worthy. That's what matters. When we let him, he will do it. All right, so let's enjoy the Lord's Supper elements. Obeying our Lord's command, we keep on celebrating Christ regularly by eating and drinking. We eat bread to remember who he is as a person, and who he is as a person is the one and only sovereign God of the universe. We drink to remember his work on the cross. And that was the voluntary sacrifice he made to deliver us from sovereignty to sin. We remember with gratitude what God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ have done to save us. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to 25. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke the bread and said, This is my body which has been broken for you. Keep on doing this in memory of me. 1 Corinthians 11.25 When supper was ended, he took the cup. And after supper, he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Keep on doing this. And as often as you drink it, keep on drinking it in remembrance of me. We choose to obey our Lord, so let's keep on eating this bread, let's keep on drinking this cup, and let's do both to remember Him. Let this celebration stir our minds and our hearts with awe and with reverence and with gratitude. Let's keep on being transformed by His life, His death, His burial, His resurrection from the dead, His ascension to the Father, His seating at the Majesty's right hand, and by the nourishment we get from His Word, which feeds our soul. All right, Job chapter 19, verse 25 says, As for me, this is Job talking, I know that my Redeemer lives, and in the end, the Lord will take his stand on the earth. Let's go back in time to enjoy Peter, Paul, and Mary as they sing about our Redeemer in the song, Hymn.
5: Sunday morning, very bright, I read your book by colored light That came in through the pretty window picture I visited some houses where they said that you were living And they talked a lot about you and they spoke about your giving They passed a basket with some envelopes I just had time to write a note And all it said was I believe in you Passing conversations where they mentioned your existence And the fact that you had been replaced by your assistants The discussion was theology And when they smiled and turned to me All that I could say was I believe in you I visited your house again On Christmas or Thanksgiving And a balded man said you were dead But the house would go on living He recited poetry And as he saw me stand to leave He shook his head and said i would never find you My mother used to dress While my dad was sleeping We would walk down to your arms Without speaking
0: Love that song. Well, the closing moments of our study are perhaps the most important moments of our study because it's a reminder to you that God wants you. And you know, for those of you who are guests to Barah Ministries, our lessons are structured very simply. The first part of the lesson, I'm telling you who God is. And in the central part of the lesson, I'm going to teach you the Bible verse for verse. And at the end, I'm going to remind you how to be saved, how to get to heaven, because there's no more important thing to know than what it takes to get to heaven when you close your eyes in this life. And so the closing message of this study is that important message, and we want you to know that God wants you. It is not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to a change of mind about Christ. So first and foremost, this message is for the benefit of believers in Christ. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says, Hey, believers, sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart. Always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that is in you, the absolute confidence hope that comes from your faith in Christ, and give the defense with gentleness and respect. Second, this message is for unbelievers so that you can be saved. I evangelized to my kids roughly 1,500 times. I never took their salvation for granted, and I won't take yours for granted either. So whether you know it or not, you were born a sinner. And that's bad news for you, because sinners need a Savior. The good news is that the gospel message offers you the chance to make the most important decision of your life, because God wants you. There's nothing more important for you in this life than a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the most important decision you can make in your life. John chapter 1, verse 12 says this, Whosoever received him, To them, the Lord Jesus Christ gave the right to become children of God the Father, even to those who believe in Jesus Christ's name. One single conversation, one moment in time with God the Father, and you can be saved for all time. Acts chapter 16, verse 31 says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and everyone in your household who also believes. What does that mean? Take God's word for it, regarding what it takes to be saved. And all it takes to be saved is to believe in Christ. And the friend I was talking to the other day, I said, what does it take to be saved? He said, you got to believe in Christ and you got to follow Jesus. Nope. Guess again. Guess again, because if that's a requirement, most people don't follow him right after they believe. What's the requirement? Believe. All you have to do is say yes to what he's telling you. It's that simple. One conversation five words or nine if you prefer. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That's what the thief said on the cross that was being crucified next to him and he is in heaven right now. And remember the warning in John chapter 3 verse 36. He who believes in the son has eternal life right at that moment. The resurrection life, the Zoe life, right at that moment. Instantly, it's not a future event. But he who does not obey the command to believe in the son will not see the resurrection life. Instead, the wrath of God, the lake of fire, abides on him. I wouldn't wish the lake of fire on my worst enemy. So if you want to be saved from the wrath to come, if you're an unbeliever, simply have a conversation with God the Father. Let him know that you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that is the moment of eternal life for you. Well, let's close with music. Abraham, the father of the Jewish race expressed supreme confidence in the God of Israel, who was also our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, with this thought. Matthew chapter 4, verse 21. Abraham was fully assured that what God the Father had promised, he was able also to perform. I love the promises of God, because what God says, he does. All the time. June Murphy sings it this way, Our God is the great I am.
6: It is finished After I bore all sins on the tree I am the King's Redeemer High Priest Advocate you need The mediator between God and man Born of a woman's seed The first Resurrected victory proclaimed Broke the chains of sin and death There's no more pain So the whole world might be saved I am Are one with the Holy Spirit. I am a member of the Trinity. I was God at the beginning. I'm the creator of all things. I am the Lion, the Lamb, the bridegroom. No one came into being apart from me. I am coming one day on a white horse. I am faithful and true. My eyes will burn like fire. Yes, I blood-dipped road in my
0: Amen. My God, you sing so good. <laughs> All right, our closing doxology, which is a few verses of praise for our Lord. Ephesians 1.3 Worthy of praise is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us believers in Christ in eternity past with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. And in the heavenly realms is a place of permanence through our union with Christ. Ephesians 1, 7, and 8, In Jesus we have redemption, delivery from slavery to sin through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the glorious wealth provided by his grace, which he lavished on us, including as a gift, wisdom, and insight. Ephesians three twenty, Now to God the Father who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we could ask or imagine, more than is humanly possible, according to the divine power, omnipotence that works within us. To him be the glory through the church-age believers in union with Christ Jesus, and to all generations forever. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God and Father, we thank you for taking our burdens from us. We thank you for lifting us up. We thank you for opening our hearts to the truth. We thank you for opening our spiritual eyes so that we can see the world through your eyes and when we are looking at the world through your eyes none of the machinations that are going on in this world will matter to us because we know we have the victory we know that we are one with you we know that you are very present not at all far off you are not in a distance you are inside of us driving the limo of our lives and waiting for us to give instructions about where to take the limousine. And we just pray that you give us the wisdom to know the great places to go and the poor places to stay away from. And we pray that our lives may reflect our love, your love, to everyone we meet, every conversation we have. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit, in Christ's name. Say it with me. Amen. 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 Thank you for coming. Thank you for watching, and thank you for listening.